To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power for ever and ever. Amen. Thanks very much, Debbie. I've got a nice um, handout here of um, the PowerPoints, which um, should have appeared on the screen behind me, um, but unfortunately I was a little bit late getting them together and had a few technical problems this morning. So apologies for that. That means we'll have to concentrate harder on um, what I'm saying. Uh, You'll have to concentrate on the Bibles. Keep your Bibles open. We will be looking at God's Word together and seeing what he has to say to us. So let's, let's pray before we do that. Father God, we do thank you that the power is in your word. And we do pray that power would be evident this morning as we study it, as your spirit opens our eyes and our minds and our hearts to hear what you have to say to each one of us. Lord, humble us, we pray, that in due time we may be lifted up. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wonder what you think is humankind's biggest problem. I had a few images gonna, were going to come up on the screen of uh, a war scene. You might think war is the world's biggest problem. Or poverty. Maybe you think it's global warming. Maybe it's Vladimir Putin. Or any other autocratic leader you could probably name. I guess if you were to do a survey of um, people on the street, those are the sort of answers people would come up with. But although these are big problems, they're really just the symptoms of an underlying problem, and that is pride. The biggest problem is not those people out there, as we'd often like to think. The problem is inside each one of us. We're in the uh, middle of a sermon series on um, one-anothering, 
these different exhortations from the Bible. And the big enemy in all of these commands, the big thing which stops us being able to, to fulfill them, is pride. Do you remember we started the series um, with the verse for the year, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above ourselves? Pride says, my honor is more important than that of others. We went on to forgive one another. Pride says, I can't let it go. The pain they caused me was just too great. Last week, we looked to teach and admonish one another. Pride says, no one has the right to tell me what to do. Well, this week, we tackle pride head on because the exhortation is the precise opposite to to pride. Have a look what it says there in 1 Peter 5, verse 5. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. To be proud is to be in direct opposition to God. And we'll come on to why that is. But first of all, let's do a quick test. Have a look at these questions, or rather listen to these questions, and, um, and see whether they apply to you. First one, do you easily get offended when somebody wrongs you? Do you worry about what people think of you? Do you become defensive when you are criticized or corrected? Do you get hurt if your achievements or your acts of service are not recognized or rewarded? Do you find it difficult to admit when you are struggling? Do you find it difficult to ask for help? And finally, are you sitting there quite pleased with yourself because you think none of these applies to you? <laughs> now, all of these reactions are caused by pride, aren't they? And there are, there are two different aspects of pride in these questions. The first one is the feeling that everything revolves around me. What matters most to me is my happiness, my success, what people think of me. And the other, one, the other aspect of pride is I don't need anybody else's help. I can do this myself. And both of these are sinful, aren't they? The first, because it means we love ourselves more than God. And the second, because we don't think we need God. Well, most of us here this morning, if we are Christians, will acknowledge that there is still pride in us, and we would love to be rid of it. So how can this passage help us? Well, by helping us to see that the reason why God values humility, the reason why he hates pride... And that actually, humility, as we look at these things, as we look at these reasons, is actually far more, far more attractive than pride. And we know that, don't we? Because when we see humility in others, it is attractive. When we see pride, it is pretty, pretty ugly. On Friday, we were at the funeral of John Blanchard, this Jeff and Hannah Stedman's um, brother-in-law, who was a pastor at uh, Spicer Street uh, when Liz and I were there a few years back. Uh, he was actually the one responsible for telling us about Long Crendon, so he's got a bit to, to answer for there, hasn't he? Uh, one of the qualities that came out in the tributes um, 
which everybody saw in him, was, was humility. He was a, a university professor. He apparently was a world expert on starch. Guess not many of us know much about that. But he had no sense of self-importance and had time for all sorts of people, whatever level, whatever nationality, whatever race. I'll tell you someone more famous. Um, what was it about Nelson Mandela that, that people admired? It was his humility, wasn't it? If you've seen the film Invictus, there's a moment where he, he uh, takes office as the president of South Africa, and he calls all his staff together for a meeting, and uh, all the white staff come into this meeting quite afraid that they're basically going to be kicked out. He's going to take his revenge for all those years of, of persecution and apartheid. But actually comes in, has complete respect for them, and says, if you want to stay on here, you're very welcome to, and let's rebuild this country. It was a sense of humility. We see the attractiveness of humility in others. We see the ugliness of pride in others. But we're often not aware of it in ourselves, are we? So what does it mean to, to be humble? The first point is to be humble is to consider the needs of others before your own. To consider the needs of others before your own. Let's turn back to that first passage which um, Deb read for us from Philippians chapter 2. Because there's no greater example of humility than that that we can find in Jesus. The leader's day yesterday, Julian Hardiman, was, was filling us with a sense of awe at the incarnation that uh, an absolute, infinite God should join himself to finite humankind. It says here in chapter 2 of Philippians, verse 6, that Jesus is in very nature God. He was equal with God. And yet it also says in verse 6, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Part of our sinful human nature is to use things to our advantage, isn't it? And the more power, the more influence people have, uh, the more prone they are to use them to their advantage. Just look recently at those uh, instances we've had with um, the sports world, the governing body of football, FIFA, the corruption that's in there, athletics, the IAF. Uh, in many ways, that was what original sin was all about. Man was given a position of privilege, made in the image of God to enjoy a relationship with him, to rule over the earth. And yet, what did he do? He tried to take advantage of it, to exploit it, to be like God. Well, Jesus behaved in a very different way. Jesus was God and therefore had a right to remain in heaven, to receive the honor and glory he deserved from all the heavenly beings. And yet he chose to give up those rights. He chose to come down to earth. He saw the need of humankind he saw that people needed saving and only he could do that. He humbled himself for us. You hear a lot of these days about people talking about their rights, insisting on their rights. Well, humility is to give up our rights. Jesus chose to take on 
a lowly position. He wasn't forced to do it against his will. He chose to be humble, to become a man knowing it would mean that he would be humiliated and killed. And so it says in verse 7, he made himself nothing. Literally, he emptied himself. He gave up the status, the majesty that went with his divine being. He laid aside his glory. He gave up his heavenly throne. He made himself nothing. Another way of saying he humbled himself is to say, uh, it says here in verse 7, taking the very nature of a servant. What is humble about a servant? He'll, he serves another, doesn't he? His job is to put the interests of another first, to make sure they're okay rather than himself. And for God to choose to do that is quite amazing, isn't it? Having chosen to become a man, which is an amazing thing in itself, you'd think, well, maybe he would choose to become a powerful man, a warrior-type figure, a ruler, the sort of Messiah that everybody was expecting. But no, he chose to become a normal human being, a humble human being, a carpenter whose divine power was actually in his authority, his authority to heal, to teach, to cast out demons, to bring people back from the dead, to forgive sin. All aspects of serving. And his greatest act of service is there in verse 8. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus' servanthood meant that he would become obedient to the Father to the point of dying for people. It was not an easy thing to do. We know the torment that he went through in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was something he had the power to avoid. And yet he chose the cross. So if Jesus was prepared to do that for us when he didn't need to, and when we didn't deserve it, then we should have a great incentive to humble ourselves, shouldn't we? To consider the needs of others before our own. So what does that look like in the church, for example? If we're looking to humble ourselves towards others, to, to give up our rights. Let's go back to, to 1 Peter 5. Because this passage starts um, with some instructions to the elders, calling them to be shepherds, to watch over the flock, to be eager to serve, to be examples to the flock. All things that require sacrifice, a sacrifice of time, sacrificing what you want to do for the sake of others. Some of that sacrifice may be a, um, may be a willingness to accept unfair criticism, where, where the temptation may be to defend yourself, but may, where it may be better to just remain quiet. But it's not just the elders who are called to make sacrifices. Have a look at um, what it also says in verse 5. In the same way you who are younger submit yourselves to your elders. There is an authority, there is a responsibility that God gives to those in positions of leadership. Uh, and we, if we're not in leadership, we may not always uh, agree with the decisions that they make. But assuming we have the opportunity to raise concerns, to pray about them, and assuming the decisions are not going against instructions in God's word, then there comes a time when we should accept them with humility. Now, there are loads of things in church life that we can disagree over, things that can make us upset, things that can cause us to fall out with, 
with others. And we're tempted to say, no, I, I know I'm right about this. No one's going to convince me otherwise. I'm, I'm, I'm sticking to my guns. They just need to see that they've got it wrong. Or humility is to say, maybe I'm not right. Uh, maybe if, even if I am right, the issue is, is not that important. I just need to let it go. Put it in God's hands. He's far more interested in my relationship with my brothers and sisters than whether I'm right or not. It goes on. In verse 5, all of you, so this is applying to everybody in the church, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Another way of putting the needs of others first, maybe in our, our commitment to a particular ministry. Maybe, maybe we're part of a team already. One of the things that ministry le- leaders would love more than anything else is team members that are, are committed, who are regular, who, who would only miss a, a meeting if something came up where they had no option, who are prepared to sacrifice things which might be more interesting for the sake of that particular ministry. But there's another aspect of being humble. So there's the aspect of um, putting the needs of others before ourselves, but have a look down at verse 6 as well, because this is the other aspect of pride and humility. Humble yourselves, it says in verse 6, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. To be humble is also to accept your need for God's help. If one aspect of being proud is uh, thinking about yourself and your needs, another aspect is thinking, I actually don't need anybody else's help. I am self-sufficient. Or sin is to say, I don't need God. I don't need forgiveness. I don't care if Christ died for me. To become a Christian is, first of all, to accept that all of us need forgiveness. All of us need a saviour. But what if we're already a Christian, yet we're still struggling to live out the Christian life? We know we should be humble. We've tried hard to be humble. But it just doesn't work. And we we feel annoyed at others. We feel bad about ourselves for for feeling like that. What do we do? What does it say here? Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him. Because he cares for you. Paul is exhorting us to humble ourselves, but that's not a, look, you know what to do, just get on and do it. It comes with help. We humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. We cast our cares on him. When we realize we have absolutely no ability in ourselves to handle our anxieties, our worries, our concerns, then we turn to the one who does have the ability. And that takes humility. It was sad, wasn't it, last week to read of the death of the explorer, Henry Worsley, who tried to cross the Antarctic um, unassisted, unsupported, which means basically without any airdrops, no help from dogs, no help from any other source. He was completely on his own. 
Imagine what it must have been like to walk across snow and ice for 70 days. He managed an, an amazing 913 miles. It was just 30 miles from his goal. When he got to the point where he just could not put one ski in front of the other. And he called for help. He was airlifted out and uh, flown to a hospital in Chile, but sadly died last Sunday. Now, we may never take anything as dangerous as, as that, but we will experience the challenges that come from daily life. And we can put on a front and pretend that, that everything is okay. We can battle on in our strength for years. But why would we want to do that when God is there offering his help? And the way he often does that, isn't it, is through his people. God doesn't expect us to wait until we get to the end of our resources before we call out for help. He expects us to cast all our anxiety on him, to go to him for help in all circumstances. It's pride that makes us think we have the power to deal with even the smallest problem in our lives. As we were reminded yesterday at the the Leaders' Day, underneath we are all broken. And it's as we come to God in our brokenness that he will meet our needs. He's a God in the words of uh, Isaiah 57, lives in a high and holy place, but also lives with the one who's contrite and and lowly in spirit. We can do strong and powerful things for God, but only when we humble ourselves under his mighty hand. You might think that God is, is way too important to care about your little um, anxieties. But God is telling us here that he cares for us. And it's arrogant of us to keep our anxieties to ourselves, not give all of our worries and cares to him. Proud people try to take matters into their own hands. Humble people give them to God. Anxieties are normal in a fallen world. We, we all have them. Some have more or greater anxieties than, than others, but we all have the choice. What are we going to do with them? What God says is humble yourselves under his mighty hand by casting them onto him. Not just some of them, not just the big ones, all of them. And as we do that, he says he will lift us up in due time. We've just come on to our final point. To be humble is to be lifted up. Do you remember before Christmas we looked at um, the, the Magnificat, Mary's song? And um, one of the verses from that was this. She sings, He, God, has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. Jesus taught in Luke, he said, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. Who is the greatest example of one who humbled himself? Jesus Christ, we've looked at just earlier on. Well, in that passage from Philippians, it also goes on to say, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above all other names, Jesus humbled himself by becoming human, 
He also humbled himself by allowing himself to become broken. He chose to become obedient to the point of death, and so his father exalted him. He lifted him up. He demonstrated his approval of his son. Jesus died, but was raised to life. He achieved victory over sin and death. He was exalted to the very highest place and given the name that is above every name. He has been placed in the position of highest honor and supreme power. And God promises that he will lift us up if we humble ourselves. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. What does that lifting up look like though? Does it mean that he will remove the pain that we're experiencing in this life or the the tough things that we're going through? Will he just simply take them away? Well, it may be, but not necessarily. It means though, as we accept our weakness and as we go to him and cast our concerns on him, we will receive his strength. And we will be able to keep on going. Look at the next verses in, in 1 Peter 5 as it carries on in verse, verse 8. Because these are some of the challenges we will face. Be alert and of, and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Aren't those wonderful words? To be lifted up is to see Christ exalted. It is to see the future glory that awaits his people when we are in his presence. It's to see the crown of life that awaits his people when we will reign with Jesus forever. And the knowledge of that future glory gives us the strength now to resist the devil. The devil who will try to tell us that we are weak, we cannot go on, we cannot stand firm, who will try and bring us down. Watched the other film the other night called Everest. I don't know if any of you have seen it. It's about the, um, the attempted ascent of the, the mountain in 1996. It was actually just a, a month before Liz and I were in that same country, not knowing what was going on at that time. The film shows some amazing acts of courage, of bravery, but it's also tragic. You see, people, depending on their strength, their courage to conquer the mountain and the elements. The leader of the group is stuck on the mountain and his colleagues back at base camp, his wife on the radio, urge him to keep going, to not give up. God gives us the strength to keep going, to achieve a a much greater goal than climbing Everest. The view from the top of Everest may be amazing, but nothing compared with the view of Christ on his throne. God does not promise to take away our suffering, but he does use it for our good. He does use it to make us more like Christ. 
22 Corinthians, it says this, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. He uses it for our good that we may comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. To close, just to, to recap, to be humble is to consider the needs of others before our own. To be humble is to accept your need for God's help. And so be humble towards one another because Christ humbled himself for us and God will lift you up.